Welcome to the Living the Dream podcast with Curveball. If you believe, you can achieve. Welcome to the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast, a show where I interview guests that teach, motivate, and inspire. And today, the topic of this episode is love, because I am joined by Kim, the love maven, Sorrell. Kim is an author, speaker, writer, and she is also the executive director of a nonprofit organization. Her newly released book is called Love Is, and we're going to be touching on the topic love, being that, you know, with everything going on, People can kind of be mean and hateful on social media and in person and, and all kind of stuff. So I'm going to let Kim spread the topic of love today. So Kim, thank you so much for joining me today. Curtis, it is my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Well, why don't you start off by telling everybody a little bit about yourself? Sure. Yeah. So my name is Kim Sorrell and I am a mother and a grandmother an entrepreneur. I run a nonprofit. Several years ago, a few years ago, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And so I am a breast cancer survivor. Four months after I was diagnosed with breast cancer, my husband was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And then he passed away six weeks after that. And so I went through quite a bit that year. That was a tough year. My husband and I were very close. I had a great marriage and it was really tough to lose him. And it led me on a completely different journey of life. So kind of tell us about that year long journey and about your book and, you know, kind of what made you decide to write it. Sure. Yeah. Well, losing my husband made me question the real meaning of love. You know, what what is love really? It's not like you go to the bookstore and there's a manual on love or love for dummies or anything like that. You learn love from your parents, from people around you. And not everything you learn about love is accurate. Not everything is true. And, and I thought, well, gosh, what is, what is love really? How do I really dive into discovering the truth about love? I believe that God is love. So if God is love, and I know what love is, then I would know better how to live and how to love. So I decided that I would take a year, I would dedicate a, a full year, taking a 2,000-year-old poem that you hear at a lot of weddings, love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, does not boast, et cetera, and take it one word at a time and discover, well, what is love that is patient? What is love that is kind? And I thought I would take one word a month, but there's 14 words. So the math didn't quite work out. So it took me a bit longer than a year. I think I'm a bit of a slow learner too, because it, it was much more challenging than I thought it was going to be. Because I thought, Curtis, I thought I had the answers. Like, you know, love, right? You love your, your kids. You love your friends. You know, we, we all know love. And so I thought I knew. So I start out each chapter with what I think it's going to be, what I think love that is patient is, the very first one. And then, and then I tell the story of how I arrive, what it really is. 
And when I was doing this, most of the time I was in Haiti. So the stories are from Haiti. And so it's not, it wasn't a unicorns and rainbows and, you know, happy, 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 love, love kind of a year. It was nitty gritty. It was down and dirty. I had crazy experiences. I was chased by a motorcycle gang. I got lost on a mountain. I had to sleep outside with tarantulas and snakes on the ground and just all kinds of things happened. And what I found out was so interesting. It, I found out that every single word of that poem, every single one, when you put love with it, when you put love is or love is not, it totally changes the meaning of the word. So, you know, patient, for instance, I thought, oh gosh, when you're in traffic, you're not honking your horn or you're trying to cross the road and there's people in your way and they're not letting you. And so to just wait is patience. I thought that would be, you know, showing love that is patient. But what I discovered is so different than that. So what I discovered is that love that is patient is, first of all, I believe you should love everybody. I think we should all love everybody. And, and in that, then whoever you're with, so like me with you right now, Curtis, that I recognize that this is the most important moment of my life. What's in the past is in the past. What's in the future is yet to come. But my total focus, my total being needs to be here with you because I love you, because, because I love everybody and I love you. And so if I truly love you, then I'm fully present for you. I'm fully here for you. And I believe that is what love that is patient is and every single word was different every single one it was it was just very very eye-opening very life-changing it was just crazy I can tell you a couple stories if you'd like go right ahead and tell us and before you do that let me just tell those of you who don't know that 2000 year poem that she's talking about is one's corinthian one corinthians 13 called the love chapter but yeah share some stories with us sure sure well like you know here we're coming on the holiday season and there's a couple of uh truths about love that change things like you know we're so polarized these days we're democrats and republicans we're vaxxers and anti-vaxxers you all this stuff with covid you know there's boundaries and and lines that we've put on the globe. God hasn't put those lines on the globe, but we have these boundary lines that people can't cross. And some people think they can, and some people think they shouldn't. And, and there's just such a great divide in our country and our cities and our world that shouldn't be there. You know, love would not have a divide. And so boast is one, love does not boast. And, you know, you think that's an easy, you know, of course, love doesn't boast. And what is boasting really? And, and so as I thought about it, I thought, well, gosh, you know, I'm proud of my grandkids. You know, if I'm talking about my grandkids, certainly that's not boasting. Or if I'm all excited, I, you know, something great happened at work and I tell that story, like, that's not really boasting or, I, you know, oh my gosh, I got a new car. That's not really boasting, but, but sometimes it is. Because if I'm telling someone 
that I just got a new car when they can't even afford a bike, then that is boasting. Or if I say, if I say to you, oh gosh, I got to go and, and see this beautiful landscape with these beautiful mountains and whatever, well, you're not gonna see those things. So that's, that's boasting, that can be boasting. And love doesn't do that. And, and so when I was working on love that does not boast, I had an interesting thing happen. I was in the airport and there was a woman in the airport that I noticed at my gate. And people don't go to Haiti on vacation. People go to Haiti to work or Haitians go to visit family or to return home. But you don't just see people just going to Haiti. And she had a wedding dress in one hand and a steamer in the other. And, uh, and she was gonna be flying into Port-au-Prince. And so I went over to her and I said, are you you know, flying into Port-au-Prince? Are you going to Haiti? And she said, yes. And she was pretty upset and she was meeting somebody there. She was gonna get married in Port-au-Prince. And I said, oh, you're marrying a Haitian? No, she was, she was, as the story unfolded, it turned out that she was a mother of teenagers and they lived on the West Coast and her and her husband were divorced and she'd met this guy in school. She went back to the junior college to take some classes and she met this guy in school and she was flying to Haiti to marry him. And I, I told her, well, you can't just fly in. You can't just grab a taxi and say, take me to a Holiday Inn. It doesn't work like that in Haiti. You have to be very, very careful. You don't know the taxi drivers. You don't know the language. And there's not just hotels that they just take you to and they speak English. It just doesn't happen that way. So I invited her to stay with, with me. I had some people with me and I invited her to just stay with us. I stay at an orphanage that is a wonderful place for children with disabilities. And on the second floor, there's some guest rooms there and that's where I stay. So I invited her to stay with us. So then as the story unfolded more, here she was, you know, 40-ish year old woman and the guy that she was gonna marry was 20 and from a country in Africa that to get a visa, to get into somewhere to get married, we can go almost anywhere. If you're a US citizen, we can go pretty much anywhere without a visa, a lot of places. But if you're Nigerian, there's only a couple countries that you can go without a visa and Haiti is one of them. So he was in Ecuador of all places at the time and, and was supposed to be meeting her in Haiti. The story was that she sent him money and, and the travel agent took advantage of them, took their money and whatever. So as I was dealing with love that doesn't boast, I'm seeing this story unfold and I'm thinking, I'm thinking this woman's naive that she's thinking that this guy really is gonna go meet her and marry her, that, this, that it doesn't have anything to do with him, you know, gaining citizenship or, you know, legal residency in the U.S. or, you know, there's no other motive. She's just in love and he's in love. And, and I wanted to believe that was true for her, but that it's a pretty tough story to believe really. And I wasn't sure what to do. 
because I thought, gosh, you know, is it my place to say anything to her? You know, is it my place to somehow, you know, say, ask the question, are you sure this is legitimate? Are you sure he's legitimate? Because she had sent money down twice and twice the travel agent stole the money. And so I wasn't sure what to do. And I wasn't sure how Boast played in and, and if it was my place. And what ended up happening is she wanted to wire more money. And I was never in a position to take her to Western Union. Plus, I was very reluctant. I didn't want to take her and have her, you know, give more money away. And but she ended up buying a ticket, flying to Ecuador and getting married. And she became a Facebook friend of mine. And so I saw the wedding pictures. And then about three months later, I got a Facebook message from her saying, asking if one of the security guards that was with us, this um, policeman from Haiti who was with us, who was very attractive, asking if he was still single. And I said, well, what, what happened to your husband? What's going on? And, and she said, oh, it turned out that it was a scam, that he never really loved her and, and never really wanted to be part of her life. And, and I thought, oh gosh, did I blow it? You know, like what, what was my place? Like, what should I have done? Because I, you know, she wasn't asking for my advice and unsolicited advice isn't so great. And I tried to drop a couple hints, but I didn't really want to act like I knew so much more than she knew or that that it was really my place to say anything or do anything. So here I'm working on love that doesn't boast and trying to put it all together. And, And what I realized is that love that doesn't boast doesn't elevate you above somebody else. Love does not do that. With love, we are all on the same footing. We're all standing on the same ground, all equal. We're all created in God's image. There is nothing that makes anyone better than anyone else, not wealth, not country that they live in, not color of their skin, not sexual orientation, not religion, not occupation, not border, nothing. There's nothing that makes anyone better than anyone else. And when you boast, you're elevating yourself above somebody else. So like with this woman, had I said more to her, had I, you know, tried to stop her, then I would be like acting as if I knew more than she did, as if she isn't in control of her own life. And she is, you know, it's not, it's not for me to tell her what to do. You know, she makes her own choices. She's an adult woman who should make her own choices. And, but I was a bit smug when I was going through it thinking, oh my gosh, I see this so plainly. Why doesn't she see this? But I realized, you know, that I wasn't showing her love. I wasn't really showing her love because I was thinking I was smarter. I was thinking that I was somehow above what she was doing, somehow above what she was feeling. And here she was in love with this guy. So I realized that that love that doesn't boast is, is not ever thinking that there's anything about you that makes you better than anyone else. 
that you recognize we are all equal. So by not boasting, you also don't judge. You don't judge and anything about somebody. You let people be who they are. You love people for who they are and you allow them to be who they are without judgment, without unsolicited advice, without thinking that your decisions are better than somebody else's decisions. That is love. Love sees that, that we are all individual. We're all unique individuals and we all make up our own minds. We all get to decide what's best for us. And so it does, love that doesn't boast does not judge. It doesn't judge, it just loves. And what I figured out is love, like the overall message, the overall theme of love is that love is complete and total freedom. It's complete freedom. There is no freedom like love because when you really love the way you're supposed to with love that is patient, love that is kind, all of the things that I learned then you are free to just be who you are and you're free to just love. You're free to just love, not criticize, not be critical of, not try to tell people what to do or think that you're somehow better or expect anything in return or expect a certain behavior, none of that. All, you, all we have to do is love each other and, and so with that, when you're free to just love, then all that other stuff goes away. Then nothing else really matters. Love is the only thing that, that matters. Well, let's talk about how humor plays a, fact, a factor in love. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I think humor plays a factor in a lot of things in, in life in general, right? Like sometimes you have to just, laugh yourself or I, I sure feel like I have to laugh at myself and laugh in general you know laughter is such a great thing but you know like when when I was going through this whole year year plus of of this dedicated living to figuring out love I had a, a situation I was working on uh, love does not keep a record of wrongs so you know what does that mean you know I thought well you you're not supposed to hold things against people. You know, that's, that's how I kind of went into it. But I happened to get asked by this group of men from the United States to take them to Haiti, show them a water project that I had been working on in Haiti. They were interested in maybe getting involved in it. So there were eight American men. And then I brought two Haitian friends who were both men to translate and show us where to go. And we arrived at where we were going to be. It was in a, outside of Port-au-Prince in a smaller town. And there was a cement wall around this little building. And inside the building, there were just two rooms. And in each room, there were four twin-size beds. So there's eight men. There's eight beds between the two rooms. There's two Haitian men and me. But we brought a couple cots and an air mattress. So I figure we're okay. You know, you only go into the room to sleep. It's so hot there. And, and there was room in the rooms to put the cots and the air mattress. So, you know, I figure we're fine. Well, the head guy from the U.S. called me over. Kim, Kim, can I talk to you? I'm like, sure, yeah. And he said, 
did you see the rooms? And I'm thinking, well, buddy, there's nothing else to see. Like, what else is here? You know, I mean, it's just this little building with these two little rooms. And then I thought, oh, he's asking me because he's going to think I want my own room because I'm the only woman there. So I'm going to say to him, oh, it's okay. I'll sleep outside. And then he'll say, no, no, no. If anybody's sleeping inside, it should be you. And I'll say, oh, well, gosh, I don't care if there are men in the same room. And he'll go good because we don't have enough beds. So I said to him, well, that's okay. I'll sleep outside. And he said, oh, good, good, good. He said, there are men that are with us that would, would be really uncomfortable with a woman in the room. I thought, oh, wow, that didn't quite go exactly like I thought it was going to. And, and so I looked around and I thought, well, where the heck am I going to sleep? You know, I mean, there's ground. There was a pickup truck that was going to be way too hot to sleep in. But I saw this piece of plywood over kind of a couple of sawhorses, you know, Haitian sawhorses. And I thought, well, that would protect me from the rain anyway. And, and then my Haitian friends, I was actually a little more miffed that the guys didn't even draw straws to see who got to sleep in the rooms. That was just assumed that the guys from the U.S. would sleep in the rooms and the guys from Haiti would sleep outside. But the, we, they were able to put their cots under this overhang so they were protected from the rain if it were to rain. So then a little bit later, he pulled me aside. Kim, I need to talk to you. I need to talk to you. I said, oh, okay, okay. So I go over and he said, did you see the shower? Well, in Haiti, quite often a shower is like the shower was there. It's a, a cement wall, like an L-shaped cement wall that is uh, four feet tall or so. And then there's a 55 gallon drum of water and you take a five gallon bucket and you fill that five gallon bucket with the water from the 55 gallon drum. And then that's the water that you use to wash, to wash your hair, wash your body. That, that's the water that you use. And so I said, yep, yep, I saw the shower. And he said, well, I need you to do me a favor. I need you to be the last to shower every night. He said it would be horrible if you walked in on somebody. And I'm thinking, holy cow, you know, first I'm sleeping outside and now I have to be the last to shower. Like if I can't laugh about that, you know, it's, it's really going to bother me. But I'm thinking, well, everybody here is over four foot tall. Like I would see that there's somebody in the shower. I'm not going to walk in on somebody in the shower and I can count. And there were only so many of us. So I would know if somebody was missing and they were in the shower. So I thought I was okay. And then he said, did you see the latrine? Yes, again, there's nothing else, right? And he said, we'll let you know when you can use that because so that you don't walk in on anybody. I'm like, wow, you know, this is gonna be an interesting trip. And we were there for five nights. So the first night I put out my air mattress and my prayer was, Lord, don't let anything crawl on me, land on me, slither on me. There's snakes there. There's tarantulas, chupacabras. I mean, I don't even know what, what's out there, but I sure didn't want to meet anything. So I set up my air mattress under this piece of plywood and I laid on my back, slept on my back, thinking if I had to get up and run, that would be the best position to be able to get up and run. 
So I go to bed and it's so loud. Dogs are barking and horns are honking and it's, and it's so loud just that I, I couldn't sleep. And then finally the noise of the city died down at about the same time my mattress ran out of air. So then I'm sleeping just on the ground and, and but at least I'm prone, you know, and hopefully gonna get some sleep. So, but then a little while later, the voodoo drums start in the distance, which is not unusual to hear in, in Haiti if you're in the countryside. But then that was keeping me awake, you know, wondering what's going on and, you know, praying that everything's okay. And, you know, a lot of voodoo in Haiti is, is just uh, cultural. You know, it's not like uh, how people think of voodoo. I think, are you from New Orleans, Curtis? Is that right? I am not from New Orleans. I'm from the Southwest part. Okay, okay, okay. All right. Well, because in New Orleans, you know, you can see some voodoo stuff, right? Right, but, yeah. But voodoo's not necessarily bad. I mean, there there is voodoo that's not so great, of course, but a lot of voodoo in Haiti is cultural. You know, it's, uh, you know, like we won't walk under a ladder or if you break a mirror, it's seven years of bad luck. You know, it's like that for for a lot of patients. So anyway, so the first night, so then the voodoo drums and then finally the voodoo drums stop and then finally able to sleep a little bit and get up in the morning and the night was uneventful. Everything was fine. It was good. Next night, same thing. I go to bed, pump up my air mattress, the horns and the dogs, and then the voodoo drums and then things quiet down. Of course, my air mattress is out of air. I'm on the ground, but finally I'm able to doze off. And I woke up because there was something on my leg. And I thought, oh no, you know, I can't jerk because if I jerk, maybe something will bite me, you know, like I, I don't know what to do. So I slowly lifted my head and I slowly opened my eyes to see what it was that was on my leg. And it was chicken. Of all things, it was a chicken on my leg. And I shoot it away. And I thought, at first I was mad that this chicken woke me up. And then I thought, gosh, I should probably be happy because it wasn't a tarantula or, you know, something much worse than a chicken. Third night, uneventful. Fourth night, again, I woke up because again, there was something on my leg. And again, I was full of fear, wondering what it could possibly be. I mean, you know, is it a snake? Am I going to get bitten? Is there something for the venom? Am I going to have to suck it out? I mean, I don't even know. Wouldn't have a clue the first thing to do and, and wondering if I'm going to be helicoptered over to the Miami or somewhere. I don't know. So again, I slowly lifted my head and I slowly opened my eyes. And again, it was the dang chicken. That dang chicken was on my leg again. And again, I shoot it away and relieved that it wasn't something worse, but thinking, man, I finally get some sleep and here's a chicken. Well, so I got through the week just fine. And, and it ended up that these guys did end up getting involved in the water project. And because of them, so many patients got clean water, filtered water, because the water there makes you sick like it does in so many parts of the world and kids miss school and people miss work and everything else because of illness because of waterborne illnesses 
And so it was wonderful. You know, the conclusion of it all was wonderful because these guys hopped on board with this water project. It was, it was great. And for a while though, I was a bit bitter because I was thinking, holy cow, you know, I hope my sons would never treat a woman like that. Like, you know, I, I'm all about equality and, you know, whatever, but I, I am a woman also. And I just would think, hope that my boys just wouldn't treat somebody like that. Like I was a little surprised by the behavior. And so I was a bit bitter. Like I wasn't sure how to take it. And then I realized love does not keep a record of wrongs and bitterness only hurts me. They don't know if I'm angry or if I'm bitter, you know, they don't, they don't know. It's not hurting them. It's not changing their life at all, but certainly would change mine because it's unhealthy. It's so unhealthy. It can be physically unhealthy to harbor ill will and, and be vengeful and, and have bitterness. So I realized that love that doesn't keep a record of wrongs, you don't forget what happened to you. I'll never forget that story. I'll never forget those five nights. That's not going to go away from my memory. Don't forget it. But the narrative changes. And so instead of it being, oh my gosh, what did these guys do to me? And I can't believe that they made me sleep outside and shower last, you know, whatever. It's um, just something that happened to me. And now to me, it's just this funny story that this actually happened in my life. And now I can sleep anywhere in the world and be completely comfortable and not care. And, and so the tone of the story changes. So instead of it being bitter memory, it's just a memory. It's just something that happened. And without holding anything against anybody, it, the story just has changed in my head to this funny story that, that happened. And I believe that is what love that doesn't keep a record of wrongs, that, that that's what that is. And so it was quite a learning experience for sure. Well, tell us about your ministry, Rays of Hope International. Tell us what you guys do and how it fits in with 1 Corinthians 13. Yeah, well, Rays of Hope International, we're a partnering organization. We work with people in their own country who have a passion, a mission, a vision to do something to help people in their own country. They understand the culture, they understand the language, they understand the real need. I think quite often as Americans, you know, I was talking earlier about love does not boast. As Americans, it can be easy to go in and see poverty and go, wow, you know, in our country, we wouldn't live like that. Or, you know, if they only did this, then they'd be better off. Or if they just changed this one thing, then all would be well. And want to come in with our American agenda and our American ideas, well, nobody knows the needs of a Haitian more than a Haitian. An American is not gonna understand. And, and we work not just in Haiti, but Dominican Republic, Burkina Faso and Kenya and some other places. And, and so to work alongside, not be above, but just walk alongside somebody who wants to help people in their own country. So quite often it's medical clinic or a school or vocational school. We work with some orphanages. The, mostly the orphanages that we work with are orphanages that, for um, children with disabilities because they're 
it's hard enough to raise a child with all their limbs and all their, you know, everything in Haiti and much more difficult for anyone who has any sort of a disability whatsoever. And so unfortunately, quite often those kids, those babies are left on the stairs at the general hospital in Port-au-Prince. And the hospital will take them in, but they put them in a room and the hospitals there don't have food. You know, if you have somebody in the hospital in Haiti, you have to bring the food to them. And so, you know, these children are just left alone. These babies are just alone. And, and so there's a few people in Haiti that just have such compassion and, and a passion to help these kids and bring them home. And, and give them food and give them a place to live and give them security and love and, 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 and a good life. And so, so we help out people like that. And it's not long-term necessarily. We, uh, sometimes it's, you know, a business plan, how to get off the ground, some funding. You know, it's hard to have school without pencils. <laughs> So supplies, medical supplies, whatever it happens to be that they need to really start what they want to do, but always with the idea that eventually they'll be self-sustaining, that they won't need us to provide money or anyone else to provide money anymore. Because if you're always looking for money, then you don't know if you're going to be in business next year, if you're going to still have your clinic or your school. So we help to build some business within their organization, something that brings in an income so that they can sustain. So that's what we are at Raise of Hope. We got a few minutes left, so I got a couple of more questions for you. Sure. Tell, tell me what you hope the readers will take away from your book, Love Is. You know, I, I believe so strongly in this message. Like, love... This is the thing that the world needs now, right? And it's, it will change the world. If people truly love the way we're supposed to love, things would change. Like there's a couple very simple things that people can do even going into the holiday season and getting together with family and, and not all families are just peaceful and, and whatever, and there's gift giving and there's whatever. And, but but if you just truly love, if you learn, if you read the book and, and you get these principles of love, these insights on love, like love that is kind, you know, love is kind, is, is love that has zero expectations of receiving anything when you give kindness, when you show kindness. It's being kind and showing kindness and doing kind acts for people just because you love them, period. Not because you hope to get anything in return. Like bring the neighbor cookies, that's awesome. If they don't bring you cookies, who cares? If your motivation is to get something in return, that is not love. That's not love. And how often do you hear people say, wow, they didn't even say thank you. Or gosh, you know, where's my daughter's wedding gift? I went to their daughter's wedding, you know, or whatever. But, but if you do things out of pure love, love that is kind, you're being kind just because you love, 
not because you're going to get cookies back or a casserole when you're sick or whatever it happens to be. So I hope, my hope is that first of all, people will read the book and that they'll learn that most of what we all kind of know about love isn't necessarily accurate. And that with love, everything changes with the right kind of love, with loving the right way, living it. It's living, it's breathing, it's, it's consuming, it's who you are, it's your identity, it's, um, it's all of you, it's all encompassing. And it's also universal, right? I mean, love is, everybody loves, everybody loves somebody, everybody loves, but if everybody loved everybody in the way that we're supposed to love, in the way that I figured out we're supposed to love, the world would be a different place. It would be a whole different place. So tell us about why you end each chapter with a prayer. Oh man, I... Haiti's exhausting. I live a real busy life in the United States. I, like I said, I'm an entrepreneur. I, so I own businesses. I run a nonprofit. I've got kids. I've got grandkids. I've got all kinds of stuff going. I volunteer for probably more than I should. And I write and I do all kinds of things. And, but I am not exhausted like I am when I'm in Haiti. And every night, going to bed and thinking about what I got out of the day here or in Haiti, but especially there when I was going through this, I could not go through it alone. Like if God wasn't showing me, if I didn't feel the presence of God, I was not going to learn. I was not going to get anything out of trying to figure out what is love that does not end. What is love that is not proud? I knew that the only way I would discover any of this would be to keep my eyes on God and keep my eyes and ears open and, and, and be ready to receive whatever it was that he had to give me. And so I end each chapter in prayer because I was praying from the depths of my soul, Lord, let me learn how to live this way. Let me live love that is patient always live love that is patient. And it was a prayer. I ended with a prayer that was kind of begging might not be the right word, but, but kind of begging because I so desire to live that way. I want so badly to live the way that God wants us to live. And God is love. And if all we have to do, if we want to be like Jesus, you know, there, there have been a couple of people that have written books living a year like Jesus, right? But when I've read those books, it's been more about wearing sandals and having a drink at a bar with, with strangers or, you know, more the physical. I wanted the spiritual. I wanted the deep dive. I wanted my life to change. I wanted to know things that I didn't know going in. And so I thought, well, yeah, I want to live like Jesus, but how do you do that? You know, Jesus is different to everybody, right? I mean, to some, he's peace and love and joy and everything great. To some, he's a guy tipping over tables. To some, he's a heretic. To some, he's a prophet. He's, he's different to everybody. 
but love is universal. And in John, it says that God is love. So if you live love, then you should be living like Jesus. And so that is my prayer, that that's what I do, that, that every day I get closer and closer to living like Jesus. Well, real quickly, you know, tell us about your nonprofit organization and about any upcoming projects that you or your organization is working on that we need to know about. Sure. Yes, absolutely. There was an earthquake in Haiti in August, and it was quickly forgotten, but there were a million people affected by this earthquake, people without homes, people without livelihood. There, A lot of people have a couple of goats, and that's how they make a, that's how they eat each day. That's how they make a living selling milk and whatever and trading and, and their animals died and their schools destroyed and everything else destroyed and people been living outside in the rain and the elements and, and haven't gotten much help because the political climate in Haiti is so bad right now. You know, there's been lots of kidnappings, lots of things going on, Americans even kidnapped and whatever. And so we are bringing in truckloads of things. I have a Dominican son, but we had a big project in the Dominican Republic with schools, vocational schools, medical facilities, huge water project. And um, so he, I sent him money. He's able to get the supplies that you can't get in Haiti, get them in the Dominican Republic, drives a truck to the border. And then I have my friends in Haiti, my guys meet him at the border and load everything into their truck. And then because they know how to get around and, and I use the right people, we're able to get these truckloads of things without anything being stolen, nothing being taken, nobody getting hurt. We're able to get the food, the tarps, the tents, the things that are needed for people, hygiene supplies, we're able to get to the people that need so desperately, need these things so desperately without any incident. So that's what we've been working on for a while. That's been our focus is really trying to help the people that it's gonna take quite a while for them to recover from, from the earthquake, from the devastation of it all. And so that's, that's the big project that we have going right now. Okay, can you give us some contact information so people can stay connected with you if they would like to help out or just learn what you guys are up to? Any websites, social media links? Yes, yeah, yep. Raise of Hope International, raise like R-A-Y-S, like a sun ray, raise of hope. International is the name of the organization. We have a Facebook page. People can go on our page to get more information or our website. We, and then if people want to donate and, and if people forget the name of the organization, but they remember the name of the book love is, and my name, Kim Sorrell, if you Google me, I'm the only Kim Sorrell spelled my way in the entire world, which is a crazy thing to say, but true because there are so many extra letters in my name, because it's S-O-R-R-E-L-L-E, two R's, two E's, two L's, lots of extra letters. 
And so if you Google my name, you'll find my organization and, and find the book. The book is available on, on Amazon. It's available at all booksellers, Barnes and Noble, wherever. And, and I'm just, some of the money from the book, a portion of the money from the sales of the book are going to help people right now in, in Haiti and, and will continue to as long as the book is selling. So it's sort of a, both things are just, I just have such passion about, about helping people and about loving people. Let's close it out with this final question. With the pandemic going on right now and everything that's going on in our world, how can we be sure that we don't treat people like they are an interruption? Close it out with that. Yeah, well, love would not do that. Love would not do that. And if you change the way you envision people, change in a way that you realize that everybody comes from where they come from. Every day of our lives lead us to today and, and create who we are, you know, our, our makeup. And you don't know where other people have been. You don't know what's going on in anybody's life. You know, going to the grocery store and somebody is short with you or they, you know, bump into you with their cart. Well, who knows? I mean, they may have just lost somebody in their life or they may have just gotten a bad diagnosis or gotten fired from their job. If we just love people, the pandemic shouldn't matter. I mean, we should care. Love, love should care. And so if, if people are more comfortable, if you have a mask on, put a dang mask on. I mean, what's, what's the harm in that? You know, if you really love people, you, you want them to be comfortable. And you're not going to care if you're a vaxxer and they're not, or you're an anti-vaxxer and they're a vaxxer. That doesn't matter. That has nothing to do with love. And it has nothing to do, it has everything to do with judgment. It has everything to do with everything but love. But it doesn't have anything to do with love. You know, in love, there's conversation, not confrontation. And it's amazing what you can learn from people when you really just stop and listen and actually listen to the words without thinking ahead about how you're going to answer or what you're going to say, but listen to what they have to say. You might learn something, you know, maybe not, but, but maybe you will, but just love people for who they are, no matter their beliefs, no matter if you agree with them or don't agree with them. Like we are in this tough situation, but we're all in it together. We are all in it together. And the, the more we realize that, the more love we can pour into it, the, the better off we're all going to be. So love is the answer for a, a whole lot of things. All right, ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. Kim, the love maven, Zarel from Rays of International, Hope International. I hope I got that right and didn't butcher it. <laughs> did great. But. I would like to take this time to thank you for joining me and ask people to spread love by following, rating, reviewing, and sharing this episode to as many people as possible because we all need to hear the message of love in our world and all that we got going on. Android listeners, go to the Google Play Store and download the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast app. Miss Kim, thank you so much for joining me today. Curtis. 
this was so great for me. I, I hope you enjoyed it too. And I, I hope your listeners get some good things out of it. And I love your podcast and people should listen to your podcast. You have, you have all kinds of great guests and all kinds of great things happening. Well, I thoroughly enjoyed having you on it and thank you for the kind words. Mm-hmm. For more information on the Living the Dream podcast, visit www.djcurveball.com. Until next time, stay focused on living the dream. dream.